0: This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Elementary students learned less in reading last year. Studies from across the United States and indeed from around the world have shown that in the year 2020-21, schooling was nothing less than a disastrous experience for many children. Almost everywhere, governments gave greater priority to slowing the spread of COVID and putting that in way out in front of preparing children for high school, college and their life's work. Ironically, closing the schools has done little to halt the spread of COVID. We can see things are getting better now, but it's not obvious at all that closing schools had anything to do with the current positive trends we're beginning to see. But we do know that the closing of schools has had a profound effect on the learning of all children. And especially that of more disadvantaged groups. Well, that's what we know from the 2021 school year, but how about the current year? We haven't heard much about what's happening right now. Are kids learning as much as they were back in 2019 or is the decline that took place last year still going on? So the official standardized tests coming in from states um, next spring or this later this spring, that's still to arrive. But some tantalizing new information has just been made available by Amplify, a national organization that seeks to amplify student learning. And uh, I have two officers from Amplify with me today to discuss their recent report. Susan Lambert, Amplify's chief academic officer for elementary humanities and Paul Gazzaro, a data analyst at uh, Amplify. Uh, So thank you, Susan and Paul, for joining me on the Education Exchange.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: Well, Susan, let me ask you first, what is the good news in your data set? There's so little good news out there these days with with, uh, what's happening in the Ukraine and everything else. So, but you have some good news. So what's your good news?
1: We do have good news, and thank you for starting with good news because typically we don't start with the good news. Um, and I think we should celebrate it. Kids are back in school, and kids are back in school in classrooms, and teaching is having an impact. I think the one thing that we know is when students are in schools, in front of teachers, and teachers are able to teach, then students learn. It was no surprise during COVID, and the you know so uneven access kids had to. Um, to teachers face to face. No surprise that that they um they didn't have the learning gains that they should have. But we're seeing now, now that they're back in school, and um, we're making some progress. And that's great news.
0: So, how how many students are we talking about here? It, 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 who are the people that you have actually had an opportunity to,
2: to learn about?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Paul, do you want to talk a little yeah, bit absolutely. about those students?
2: Sure. Yeah. So uh Paul, we actually uh uh here at amplify we have about 2 million students that are covered in the grades uh k5 as part of elementary assessment this is formative assessments that teachers give students to figure out you know where their strengths and where their areas of improvement are within early literacy um within that set, we have about 400 students that we've tracked in matched schools meaning these are schools that we could track back to the times before the pandemic to present so we're looking at the same places and saying what what is the the pulse of how kids are doing there? You know, now versus what we saw before the pandemic. So
0: there's there's uh, four hundred thousand students that you're a- actually looking at them in the same classroom setting. It won't be necessarily the same teachers, not the same students, obviously. Yep, but yep. you can compare second graders now with second graders back in 2019, fifth graders
2: now compared to. That's right.
0: Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yes, that's right.
2: And the one other thing I'd say is that while this is a subset of that larger data, they perform similarly so i'll call this data set representative of the larger national user base that we have um, comes from 37 states we're talking about 1300 schools 400,000 000 students but they're representative of a much larger population so you have them from across the country but we're not talking
0: about a national probability sample so we can't really the real value of this is it's the same places the same yes. school settings mm-hmm. that existed a couple of years and that's why looking at What's been happening in the current year as compared to two years or three years? Is it two or three years ago that you can go back? Three. Three years. So so you can actually say, okay, are we back to where we were when the life seemed normal? It may not have been normal yeah. back then, but yeah. it, it <laughs> seemed normal back then. So Susan, you're you're optimistic. So um, but maybe it's only the students at at your Yet in your program that are benefiting from this, so what is the what is it that you do at Amplify that uh, uh, makes this uh, a particularly interesting group of students to look at?
1: Yeah, it's it's a good question because at Amplify we do we do we have programs that for a comp- comprehensive literacy suite, right? So we have this assessment, this universal screener assessment um, on our M Class platform called Dibbles. Um, And that's just one thing that we do. We also have a curriculum program for K-5 early literacy. Uh, We also have a personalized learning program. We have an intervention program. But the kids that we're seeing in this particular data set, the only thing that they have in common in terms of their association with Amplify products is their use of Class. So some of them may be using very different core programs or very different intervention programs uh, in, in terms of what they're using. So the commonality here is the assessment that actually has been administered. And I think that's really important to understand. Um
0: so the so the thing that they have in common is the questions that you asked of them to get this information that's their right. actual experiences in the classroom are going to vary across a lot of is amplify providing multiple platforms or exactly how why is it that you have such a broad range of educational experiences
1: Well I think it's it's based on the needs of the school and the school districts in terms of their purchasing obviously so um, if they have a need for an assessment, they're using this assessment. If they don't have a need for a core program for us or they're using what they're already using. So it's based on, on their actual need. I hope that answers that question. Yeah,
0: so, so Paul, they, the only question that comes up there is, do you feel that this is fairly representative of, of students around the country or are these particularly capable school districts that uh, you have
2: participating in this program? Great question Paul yeah I would say actually maybe the, the opposite, you know if you look at I described before that that is come broadly from the United States we got about 37 states in there. That said, you know you look a little bit more closely and the data does skew a little bit towards large urban districts, and so that would tell you two things, one is that. Relatively speaking, our students, the students that are that are being assessed using m class uh probably come from schools and from home environments ultimately where they're likely to be slightly lower performing than the nation as a whole um these are students who are more um are more predominantly uh coming from low-income backgrounds we know from research you know it goes back to when you were we were a child basically well that uh unfortunately uh, uh you know Family income is just probably the best predictor we have of how students are going to perform. So you know, just gets a little bit at the challenges that schools are dealing with in trying to make sure that kids learn to read. Um, so our data skews a little bit in that direction, um, as Susan has talked to, to you about on the front end of this. The good news is we're seeing some bounce back, not to where we were before the pandemic, but at least it suggests that at middle of year right now. We hit bottom last year and we're seeing these schools, so schools that are serving kids that are more disadvantaged, maybe than the nation as a whole, are starting to turn it around. That's well, Paul. The, the, the you, you,
0: you ask this question of teachers, and you know, all of your data I think are coming from teachers, not directly from students. And you right. ask the teachers, what percentage of your students are on track and ready for core instruction? So why do you ask that question? Why
2: is that the core question that you have? Yeah. Uh, Paul, let, let me clarify. Uh, that's a great question to ask. Um, so it's not a survey tool. We're not asking, this is not a uh, subjective data where we're asking You know, them to qualify how kids are doing. This, these formative assessments are actually rapid battery tests that assess, they gauge what students know. So teachers are administering them, as you said, so they're getting an observational assessment. They're able to determine not only what can the child do, but you know, do I have any qualifications on how it is that they're performing, were they distracted, where they start, do I want to reassess to make sure I've got a quality assessment? But at the end of the day, that's what they learn. They determine, can this child uh, recite the alphabet, You know, at the very basic level? Can this child decode words that are unfamiliar to him or her? Can this child actually read connected text? Can they read it accurately? Can they read it with comprehension? These are the things that are being measured as you move from kindergarten all the way through fifth grade.
0: So this is not questions being asked of teachers. This is data coming off your uh, your uh, assessment information Correct. that is based upon how the students are actually performing. So we're getting more direct information from students. I had thought when reading your report, this is really data coming from the students themselves. That's correct.
1: Yeah, and I think what's important about that is the way, what Paul was saying, the way that the assessment is administered. So the teacher is sitting one-on-one with a student and actually asking the students to respond to a prompt. And so this isn't data that's gathered through a computer This is a data that's gathered face-to-face. And some of the teachers were gathering the data on a Zoom call, but they were still meeting face-to-face one-on-one with a student to to grab this data. So this is student-level data, very specifically at literacy measures to really understand how they're performing.
0: Well, that's great. I, I am delighted to hear this because it makes me feel better about the quality of the data you have. It's not just the judgment of a teacher, which not. judgments of teacher can vary from one to another, but this is actually information that you're getting directly from students as being recorded into your database. That's correct. Uh, so now the good news here is that uh, fifth grade students are doing about as good uh, this year as they were a couple of years, three years ago. What exactly is the good news on on fifth graders?
1: I would say the good news on fifth graders is just what you said. And and even maybe the good news on fourth graders too, is that um, they're, they're almost back to pre-pandemic levels. And that's not surprising because we're talking about a literacy measure and kids are really as solid, like by the time you're leaving third grade, if you've had good instruction, you're pretty solid moving forward. So they've been able to then sort of recover to pre-pandemic rates that said, those pre-pandemic rates weren't where we wanted them to be in the first place. But but at least we've made it back there for the fourth and fifth graders.
0: Well, Susan, that's a good qualification because when I said I uh, saw this fifty-seven percent of fifth graders were were uh, on track, I said, "Oh, only fifty-seven percent." So that's right. um, that is still a huge challenge. That, but it's not necessarily just the COVID challenge. This is a challenge that's been around for some time why is it you think, Susan, that we have not been able to bring all of our children up or at least 95% of our children up to that level?
1: Yeah, um, it's instruction in the classroom. I mean, kids have to have good instruction early in their schooling career to learn how to read. Um, we have to deliver that instruction to them. And when they're not you know, responsive to the instruction, we have to do some sort of intervention with them. Um, and so starting strong in K-1 and 2 is really important to that future success. And, you know, as well as I do, as do people across the country, when we look at our fourth grade NAEP scores, they haven't really budged for, a, they haven't really budged for. Well, if so, anything,
0: they've been slipping. Yeah. They have been slipping the last 10 years. They were climbing in the first decade of the 21st century, uh, but in the second decade, they have, you know, stabilized to declining. And then the latest yeah. results coming in are pretty, pretty even that was 2019. Uh, that was, a, they were down from, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep. And, and again, I mean, if you use this moment in, in, in this report that we released to talk about the impact of instruction, seeing that kids are starting now to grow, you know, from where they were pre pandemic. That should put, uh, that that should really motivate us to say, you know what, instruction in the classroom matters. So now let's look at really good quality instruction. What is that? What do we know about what kids need to learn to be able to read And, and start using this moment to motivate us to make some shifts in how we're addressing that.
0: Well, that's great, but exactly what do you do at Amplify? I mean, I know you talk about scientifically based uh, educational uh, instruction, but what is it that you see as the science of instruction in elementary schools?
1: Yeah, well, when we talk about the science of reading, we talk about like two things is kids need to recognize words in print and they have to understand the meanings of those words to develop as proficient readers. We base everything we do on that simple view of reading that came out in the mid-80s has been replicated over and over again. So when kindergarten teachers get students coming into their classroom, we have to teach them to decode words and we have to actually help them understand vocabulary and meanings of words. And so our programs, including our core instructional program, literally looks at both elements and does day-to-day instruction in both word recognition and then developing sort of this language and vocabulary. And then our assessments do something very similar, which means this universal screening measure that we're looking at the data right now will measure students three times a year to ensure that we're not falling into risk levels. So are those kids on track or ready for instruction? And if they're not, Here's some areas that we can focus on in order to deliver that good instruction. So well, when you how, have... does
0: this, how does this relate to the debate over uh, phonics versus whole word instruction? Because that has been an issue that's divided educators for as long as I can remember. Some people say that you've got to learn how to read by knowing the how to pronounce all those letters and you have to learn that ph is 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 pronounced like an f and you have to learn mm-hmm. how to pronounce a and how to pronounce e and i and so forth and others say no you just want to look at the word as a whole and gather its meaning so are you on the whole word meaning side of things uh, is that what i just heard you say
1: i'm on i'm on the science side and the science side shows that in order to really become a strong reader, you actually have to know those letter sounds associations um, and, and understand how to do that from the sound level up to the word. And we don't keep kids as decoders, right? That's not our goal is to teach kids how to decode. Our goal is to use decoding as a means to actually automatically recognizing words so they can then use their cognitive energy to comprehend text, but we have to make it through that gateway first.
0: Well, I sort of like that. I remember those flashcards when I was a kid and uh, and you, you really, uh, it was sort of fun actually, uh, the flashcards, but uh, you know, the whole thing is, is that it's sort of like in math. Once you know your basics, and they're so deeply internalized, then you can go on to other things. And that's so much in the background, you don't even think about it anymore. So that's That's sort of why you're thinking about this. Exactly.
1: And if we teach kids to be memorizers, I mean, I don't know, like, you can only memorize so many, right? So many things. So that's why we need to take the memorization off and and actually uh, look at building the, the, the neural pathways to develop that automaticity, just like you said.
0: Okay, so we do need to talk about that second grade uh, finding of yours, Paul, because uh, that's sort of the disturbing part—that the 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 losses seem to have been greater for the youngest kids, kindergartners, yeah. first, and and then this interesting second grade finding where there's been little evidence of recovery from from last year when things were at bottoming out. Mm-hmm. So. Why do you think there's a difference between those second graders and those fifth graders?
2: That's a great question. I I think Susan touched on it before that to some degree, the nice part about fourth and fifth grade is that while this pandemic has, I think, in various ways, uh, you know, it's hard to measure just how harmful it's been to students. So I'm not about to suggest to you that it's been a a walk in the park for fourth and fifth graders, but at least in terms of having learned to read, they have already, you know, Sort of accomplish that journey, and so the loss in instruction was not as severe, or their inability to to, to catch their seem to say differently, their ability to catch up was maybe not as impeded right now as what we've seen with say second graders for whom. Kindergarteners, uh, this was their first uh, their first foray into education, and in the spring, everything shut down. So their ability to learn right as teachers are starting to teach them these early uh, phonemic awareness patterns that Susan's talking about was basically impeded. So kids trying to decode unfamiliar text words, figure out how to actually solve the puzzle, uh, were being denied that. Then first grade, you know, because these kids were promoted last year in first grade, they started in many systems remote in the large urbans, maybe through April. They spent most of their time remote, not having been able to develop that, you know, face-to-face relationship with their peers and their teacher. Uh, And now here they are in second grade and they've had maybe a semester, you know, the semester at the beginning of kindergarten now a real semester at the beginning of second grade that where they're trying to figure out how to make up for all that lost instruction or all that impeded instructional time.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, that's interesting. So Susan, do you want to add
2: something to that? Why do no. you see that the
0: second graders are, are not making that progress?
1: I mean, I think this is an important emphasis of why it's important for kids to be in school. These This cohort of second graders right now, they have never had a normal, and I say that in quotes, they have never had a normal schooling experience. And for them, for us to to um, expect them to come into second grade and make some leaps and bounds. We have a lot of work to do with this cohort of second graders. Um, And that kindergarten and first grade time is the most critical as we're teaching kids to learn how to read. And they were largely absent from in-school experiences in in those years for them.
0: So do you agree with me, Susan, that when we closed down schools for the whole year and asked kindergartners and first grades to learn online, if they were to be given any instruction at all, other than from their parents, that this was a a, a really very bad for for children and maybe for a whole generation, we're going to be living with the consequences.
1: Well, I mean, it was a pandemic and nobody, we've never had to respond to a pandemic before. And so, you know, yes, do kids need to be in school? They need to be in school. Um, I think what we can say is as an educational system, there's ways that we can recover and there's ways we can use this as a learning moment to really not just get them back to pre-pandemic achievement levels, but to get really creative about how we're now going to address needs from the start of school and use it as a moment for us to say, "Let's, let's change our approach in some way.
0: Now, do you have any evidence that if people use the Amplify materials, this actually can help move us beyond where we were in the past?
1: We do have examples of, of places that are um, changing the trajectory for their students by starting early in kindergarten. Um, uh, and yes, when you use the, the the right kind of instructional approach in the classroom, we know that research will tell us that if you have the right kind of instruction for students, that 95% of our kids by the end of first grade, no matter what their background, can be successful readers. And so we're seeing some of that impact happen across the country.
0: Well, it's easy to do it in, on a small scale. It's much harder to do it you know, at full scale. And it's especially challenging for students from... Um, Uh, backgrounds where people don't have the same support at home, and uh, I think your findings echo what we get from so many other sources that, unfortunately, uh, our African American and Hispanic students uh, are not, you know, making the progress that, uh, that we would very much like to have them make.
1: And, and we can we can impact that at the at the classroom level. So um, you know, re- resources is an issue, but, um, but when we own that within the confines of the school day and actually pay attention to what students need, we can change that trajectory.
0: Well, this is uh, a positive set of findings to see that by fifth grade, you're able to uh, actually observe some substantial recovery and to see this actually from data, looking at, at what the students are producing themselves, but we're still discouraged that uh, there's this still a big challenge out there. So uh, thank you both for uh, sharing all of this with our audience on the Education Exchange.
1: Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having
0: me. I have been speaking with Susan Lambert, Amplify's Chief Academic Officer for Elementary Humanities, and with Paul Gazero the senior data analyst at Amplify. Amplify has just issued a new report on the state of reading readiness of the 400,000 students who have been participating in their network and settings since 2019. Thank you both for joining me on the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me every Monday at noon when our weekly podcast is released on the Education Next website.